You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coach, we're here today to talk about an important idea for coaches, and that is you have to make quotations with your fingers, ways to be as a coach. So what do I mean when I say ways to be? Some people have, I don't know if you've seen this before, sort of like a cloud that envelops their personality. It's like it's larger than their personality and it's larger than what they say and do. It's their general demeanor and it shows up in their face when you ask them something challenging or how they behave when they have a lot to do. And I bring up that example because sometimes whenever I have a lot to do, I behave um in not as nice of a way as I usually do. And so I think back to certain people in my life and they have a demeanor that's actually larger than life. When they walk into a room, you know who they are and what they're about. And I think it has to do with just being like essentially and consistently them. They are predictable and that gives us a sense of comfort because they have the same way of being all the time. You know what to expect you know who they are, and that way of being reflects what they think and what they believe. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about a few ways of being that I recommend that you integrate into your person as a coach. And so they're broad ideas that can help you think about the way you interact with people, and I think they're important enough to dedicate a whole episode to them. So to start off, I'm going to share one of my favorite equations that Donald Miller of StoryBrand shares all the time. And that is trust equals credibility plus empathy. I believe that's so important because that is the foundation for any coaching relationship or really any relationship you have with any person. Um, But the idea that you build trust through credibility and empathy is so important. So if you listen to my conversation with Nita Creekmore of Love, Teach, Bless in episode 26, you know that the number one goal we have for our relationships with teachers is that they trust us, right? People won't work with or learn from people that they don't trust. That's just not the way it works. We don't um, have faith in people that we don't trust. So let's talk a little bit about credibility and empathy and how you use them to build trust. Because that's one, one way of being is demonstrating these two traits, credibility and empathy. Credibility is, do people believe that you can help them? So if people don't think you're knowledgeable or a good source of information or interested in doing the work, they will not be interested in learning from you or with you. If you're looking for somebody to paint your house and the person you hire comes in and looks around and then says, do you think it's better if I paint the walls first or should I maybe do the trim first? Which one should I do first? You're probably not going to hire that person, right? (laughs) Because that person has not demonstrated credibility. They haven't shown you that they're an expert in their area. Same thing if you walk into a campus and you really don't know a lot about Um, how things are taught, what frameworks the campus uses, content areas, grade levels, things like that, and you're not learning about them actively, then people are not going to trust that you will be able to support them. That doesn't mean you have to know everything, but you have to know some things. (laughs) And you also have to be an ongoing learner, right? This learner that that keeps soaking in new information that will support teachers. So the other component of this equation is empathy, which means do you relate and care about people in a way that shows you understand these challenges that they're having or going through? 
So how do we empathize? Because being empathetic is a way of being. That's a way that we demonstrate ourselves to the world that we are, are listening and, and responding and hearing what they're saying. So we listen to be empathetic. We try to put ourselves in their position and feel what it must feel like. Sometimes we haven't had the same experiences as people that we're trying to be empathetic with. And so we'll never completely understand what it feels like to be in that position. But we can try to get as close as we can based on our own experiences. We can magnify things that have happened to us. We can zoom in on them and think about that moment and apply it to other situations so we can at least have some empathy for what people are going through. We can validate what they say and feel. If a person says something and we immediately negate it and say, well, not all the time. If a teacher says, my kids talk all the time, I say, well, not all the time. That's not helpful. That's not going to help people feel like I'm listening to them. At that point in the conversation when a teacher is complaining about a struggle that they're having or, or dealing with a the struggle they're having, it's not the time to correct or to give alternative solutions. Sometimes you just have to listen and validate and show that you understand. If you have both empathy and credibility in place, People can trust you to do the work with them. They will have faith and believe that you can and want to help them. So that's one thing to consider when you're thinking about your way of being. Are you constantly demonstrating credibility and empathy? Hey coaches, I'm just gonna pop in here really fast because I wanna share something with you that I am so excited about. My course for elementary literacy coaches, The Confident Literacy Coach, is live. It's up and running and you can get access to it right now. Now, so here's the deal. When I started out as a coach, I struggled. I had trouble defining my role and communicating it with teachers and administration, and I honestly didn't even know that was something I was gonna have to do. I dreaded PLC days because getting my teachers to collaborate, to speak the same language and create lesson plans together was a total nightmare. And I was so stressed out by modeling and co-teaching in classrooms that I actually avoided it for a long time. It was not a happy time for me, <laughs> but things got so much better. I figured out processes to help my teams of teachers work together. I focused on best practices and reading and writing and identified some high impact strategies to support alignment on my campus. And I began to spend more time in classrooms after I planned thoroughly with teachers before lessons. Basically, I started coaching with confidence. I've collected all the processes and tools that I used to do this work and I've put it all together in one place so you can coach with confidence too. The Confident Literacy Coach is your one-stop shop for everything literacy coaching in elementary school. You'll learn how to define your role and communicate it to your administrator, what best practices you should spend your time on, and my process for collaborative planning, plus so much more that will take your coaching life from frustrated and overwhelmed to effective and confident. You can check it out at Buzzing with Miss B.com. Just click the Confident Literacy Coach at the bottom of the latest post and you'll learn exactly what's in the course and why it will change your coaching for the better. I can't wait to see you there. So let's talk about a few other ways of being. So this is one of my favorites. My, <laughs> this is a story about my mom. And my mom is a very um, goofy person, but not intentionally. Like that's, I wouldn't say she's, like goofy is not one of her character traits. She just does goofy things sometimes and she gets things mixed up. So my mom used to say to us, neither a leader nor a follower be. And I think she got it mixed up from a Shakespeare quote, which is neither a borrower nor a lender be, um, or neither a lender nor a borrower be. But I think it made more sense to her to say neither a leader nor a follower be, for whatever reason. 
So the idea behind this quote from my mom, which I really recommend you take to heart, (laughs) is that you don't want to try to be a leader. And I know that sounds weird because people say, go be a leader. They tell their kids when they're trotting off to the baseball field, go be a leader. And I that gets under my skin. I know I shouldn't be saying this so so um, dramatically, but it just bothers me to no end because I find that whenever we tell people to go be leaders or whenever we try to be a leader, what we're actually doing is we're saying, hey, guys, follow me. I know what's right. And nobody wants to follow somebody who is trying to lead them. That has been my experience. Um, Oh, I certainly don't want to. If I feel like you're like, I have the most brilliant plan and I know what we should do because I am the leader. (laughs) That really turns me off. Um, So instead, I believe that what we do as coaches and really in any role in any, any part of your life is you do what's right. And if people choose to follow you, well, great. Then you probably were doing something that they agree is right. But if you are going in trying to be a leader, it can be obnoxious. It's almost like those people that walk in and demand instant respect, even though you don't know who they are or what their relevance is. And I, I just don't think that that's authentic. I think that if we really want people to to work with us and to move with us down this path of learning, then we have to just do what's right and make good decisions and listen to our people. And then we may be leading but not because we're trying to be a leader. So I know I don't know if that sounds convoluted. I hope it doesn't. I hope it makes sense. Um, but that is my anecdote about my mom because um, she has she's full of them. She's full of amazing quotations. And maybe I should share more of them on this podcast with you. Uh, she's one of those natural nurturers um, that doesn't like from the outside. There's no explanation for why she was so good at being a parent. But she <laughs> she she was a great parent. She still is. So another way of being is to really avoid favoritism. This is the undoing of many a coach or administrator for that matter. Teachers notice every inconsistency, even if you, even if they're not there, (laughs) they will, they will observe small things, even if you were not trying to do that. So if you are trying to be, um, play favorites or have favoritism with your teachers, you better believe they'll notice. For example, let's say that everybody turns in their guided reading binders on the last Wednesday of the month. Okay. Um, it's just a standing policy and you do it every month, except for your teacher bestie in third grade because you used to teach together and you know it's fine. She'll get it done. I'm not worried about her. She always turns him in late and nothing ever happens, right? You never comment. You never say, hey, can you get that to me um, on Wednesday, please? You never address it. You always let it happen. But if another teacher turns it in on Thursday, you make a comment about how they were due on Wednesday. See, that is inequitable to teachers. It's not really right. We don't want to um, allow, if we're we're enforcing something consistent, we have to be consistent ourselves. So over time, other teachers are going to start to push that envelope and turn them in late too or not turn them in at all because they can see that you are playing favorites and allowing some people to get away with stuff that other people can't. So this brings me actually to clear expectations, which is a really important way of being. We have to communicate clearly and effectively. We can't be wishy-washy. Sometimes it can be hard if you're trying to explain to someone that they have to do something. And sometimes we are the messengers for those things, right? 
Uh, but we have to just be honest because if it's unclear, that creates a lot of frustration among teachers. So for example, in my own experience, I remember one year uh, science notebooks, interactive notebooks were a new push on our campus and I thought they were great and I was using them in my, in my classroom and I had no problem with doing that. We were told that we had to, we had to use them in science and we had to use them in math. And um, they had to be intera interactive with input-output format. And we went through all sorts of trainings to learn how to do it. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. So I was using these in my classroom in math and science. Now, down the hall, there were people who went to the training, threw away all their stuff or shoved it in a binder on a shelf and never touched their notebooks, right? They never even went that route. And then down the hall, there were other people who were doing it because they were told they had to. And they were trying it out. They were new to it. They were learning it. But mostly it was because my school said that I had to do this, so I need to be on top of it. And sometimes that is a way you get people to try something different, right? Now, the expectation was that everybody, every child would have a math notebook and a science notebook and they would be interactive. However, if I went into some of those classrooms, I would see that that was not the case. If that is a, a campus expectation and we're not holding teachers accountable for it in, across the board, then it's not really an expectation anymore. It's like a suggestion for some people and for some people it's a recommendation and for some people it's an expectation. Nobody ever came to my room or asked to follow up about these notebooks, even though I was told they would. No one ever took a peek to see what was in them, even though I was very proud of them. And I heard teachers down the hallway who had been doing the work of these notebooks, knowing that other people were just doing like textbook work, going through the motions and teaching math from cover to cover, say things like, I don't know why I ever worry about these things. Why do I even bother to try to do anything that I'm asked to do? Because they never check it. And Miss So-and-so isn't doing any of this. And it doesn't matter. So those unclear and inconsistent expectations make things unfair to teachers. And it's not that fair. I mean, fairness sounds like a childish thing to talk about. But when we're talking about something like this, holding some people accountable and others not, that is really a problem, right? They create frustration for people who are actually trying to do the work. So we have to make sure that our expectations are clear and purposeful, that we have a reason for expecting certain things. And if we really expect those things to be done, if they're that important, then we need to follow up evenly across our campus to make sure that we're all in the same boat. Another way of being is realistic. And I talked a little bit about being um, practical in my um, personality, my coaching personality episode, which was two episodes ago in episode 25 about uh, building your coaching personality and kind of being thoughtful about that. So I'll just mention it very quickly. We want to be realistic in general because Sometimes teachers are asked to do things that are literally impossible. They're asked to be in two places at once or teach more than one thing at the same time that, the, that it cannot be done. If we are asking teachers to do unrealistic things or if we're not acknowledging that sometimes things are unrealistic, then we won't be perceived as somebody who's credible and trustworthy. So we have to be realistic all the time because doing the work of a teacher is hard. And if we're pretending that it's not, um, that's, that's not really fair to our teachers and it makes them feel very alone. This next way of being is really important. In general, we want to be a positive problem solver. We don't want to be unrealistic, but we want to look at, at situations that teachers are going through and saying, I believe we can figure this out together. We want to work together 
to, to solve the problems teachers have, to create new solutions, to figure out ways that we can do the hard work of teaching together. So just having a general demeanor of being a, prob- a positive problem solver, I think is one of the most important things that you can put in your back pocket. It's not about being unrealistic and saying, oh, it'll be fine, we'll figure it out. It really is about having faith that you can work together to figure something out and then doing the work together and not just saying, oh, you'll you'll figure it out. I have faith in you guys. And then you leave, right? We have to have a we can do it attitude, but then we actually have to do it. <laughs> so we don't want to leave people on their own just with our own blessing to figure things out on their own if they're having trouble. We got to step in and provide that positive problem solving support. We also want to believe that people are operating with good intentions. And to be completely honest, this was something that was kind of hard for me sometimes. Um, Sometimes I would look in classrooms and feel like how this teacher is being so unkind or uncharitable to kids, or this teacher is really individual, like coming after this one child instead of, you know, creating an equitable classroom and there 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 are times whenever I've seen that and it has really made it hard for me to believe that people are coming at this work with good intentions or that they really are doing the best that they are able to do at that moment and that is true that that is my own struggle but if you do not do this it can drive a wedge between you and teachers if we believe that teachers are are uninterested in their work that they're just going through the motions Um, I'm not saying that never happens, but if that is the way that we approach our work as a coach, then it's going to be very hard to provide support to that individual. So for example, I actually worked with a teacher who um, was really struggling with classroom management and the classroom was fairly chaotic. The kids were pretty miserable (laughs) and the teacher was also pretty miserable. And this teacher was complaining about the kids all of the time. Um, you could not have a conversation with this person without a complaint about kids or the classroom. And they didn't have anything positive to say about their kids ever. And I was overwhelmed by the negativity, I think. And so because of that, I kind of avoided working with that teacher. I didn't feel like they wanted to get anything out of our work together. I felt like it was sort of a waste of my time because it seemed like everything was just a complaint. So what could I possibly have to add to that situation? Over time, I realized that this teacher was actually begging me to help them in every way they knew how. And the only ways that they knew how were by telling me how hard their job was for them to do. And yes, they were passing all the blame to the kids and saying it's the kid's fault And they are doing this and they are doing that and they don't listen and they didn't come with this and they are unprepared and they do not have supplies and they do not have a good attitude and they complain. And and so hearing all that was a big turnoff for me until I realized that this person was saying, and I don't know how to do anything about it. I don't know how to work with these kids. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to change my classroom management approach. I need help. I didn't realize they were saying that because that's not what they were telling me, right? But that is the intention of their words. So I couldn't decipher that cry for help. And part of the problem was I didn't believe this person was operating with good intentions. I had a lot of negativity in my thinking about this person. I was responding to their negativity by thinking that they were not happy with their job and they why are they even teaching anyway anymore? They clearly don't enjoy it. They don't like the kids. That was my thinking and that was not helpful. 
And so that was my fault that it took so long to get into that classroom and make an impact because my first thoughts were not this teacher is trying and, and struggling. My first thoughts were this teacher is not trying and that was not helpful. So I have to tell you that story. I share my faults. I share my flaws because we all have them. And um, I'm hoping that you can avoid some of my mistakes <laughs> by listening to some of my mistakes. So that way of being and believing that people are operating with good intentions is um, so essential. And it may be one of the things that takes you the most work to to acquire. Um and I recommend you really spending some time on that. If you feel like that is a struggle for you, maybe do some writing about it. Um, reading The Art of Coaching by Elena Aguilar, I recommend that book a lot because a lot of it is about our perception of people doing the work um, in, their, in their classrooms and how we see them and our identities and how all of that is tied up in coaching relationships. So I definitely recommend you taking a look at that um, if you need some support in that area and you are not alone if you are struggling with that specific area. So these are some ways of being that I recommend um, that you start thinking about and kind of looking at your own actions. My next steps for you are kind of think through your day. Are there opportunities that you can make adjustments towards some of these ways of being or that you can um, actually start demonstrating them to your teachers and enacting them on your campus so that you can actually support building those positive relationships with teachers and creating a positive um, sort of feeling around the coaching work that you do and creating positive change. So that's my next step for you. Um, I really would love for you to head over to the Buzzing with Miss B show notes. If you check out the show notes for this episode, for episode 27, Ways to Be as a Coach, um, there's a free download for you there that will support you in coaching in classrooms. So I recommend that you grab that free download because um, there are some really nice forms in there and some, and some tools that will help you work with teachers in their classrooms, which is where these ways of being are the most impactful. So check out those show notes and um, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.